You're listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. continuing our sermon series called The Short Stories of Jesus, where we're looking at various parables that Jesus shared. Last week, Carrie gave us a really fantastic sermon where we started uh, with the parable of the salt and the light, which Carrie told us comes from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus's most famous sermon. We're going to stick with the Sermon on the Mount this week and look at one of the other parables that Jesus included in that sermon. But before we do, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Holy God, we give you thanks for this day, for this time to be together. Even when we are spread in different places, Lord, we know we are still together in your presence. So we give you thanks. We give you thanks for your word and pray that the words that are read are your words. The words that are spoken are your words and the words that are heard are your words. And may this encounter with you be so powerful that we cannot walk away unchanged. In your holy name we pray, amen. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, so just a couple chapters later than where Carrie read with us last week. We'll start at verse 1 and read through the first five verses. So listen now for the word of the Lord. Do not judge so that you may not be judged. For with the judgment you make, you will be judged. And the measure you give will be the measure you get. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take that speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eyes. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So Jesus uses these parables all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and actually all throughout his ministry. These parables, these short stories that use everyday objects or experiences to teach a lesson, they're so effective when Jesus tells them because he's, he's using these things that people would be familiar with, these items or experiences that they would know, but he always puts this unexpected twist in there, something you're, you're not planning on, you didn't see coming some sort of little surprise that invites you to think differently about something. It's a way of introducing a new idea. Now, I want you to keep in mind all the things that are going on in the world while Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. The Romans have occupied the land, requiring all the people there to pay taxes and service charges to live in their homes. So obviously, as you can imagine, there's a tension between those who benefit from the government's actions and those who are hurt by the government's actions. Also, things like race, class, gender, there's deep divides, and these things determine where people can go, which route they have to walk to get there, who they can talk to. It makes me think that their Bible Times Facebook feeds probably look really similar to ours today. Intense debates and comments that hold very little in the way of civility or sometimes even human decency. And so here, 
on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is introducing through these parables something new into that particular scene. Jesus is introducing a whole new value system. The whole Sermon on the Mount really is about taking our understanding of the world, our understanding of the way the world works, and turning it upside down. And then with these parables, Jesus is ushering in the very kingdom of God. Here with these parables, we're not being given a moral teaching. We're learning about who God is. We're learning what the kingdom of God looks like. These parables paint a picture and invite us into a whole new understanding of the holy. So we start this Sermon on the Mount, and I suspect that the crowds who have gathered, they've come to hear this new preacher guy that they've heard a little bit about, and the sermon starts, and they think, oh, this guy is good. He's up there bestowing blessings on the meek and the people who are mourning and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I think the crowd's nodding their heads, yes, this guy is good. I like it. We're salt. We're light. This is good. I don't know at what point the head nodding would have slowed down, but I am certain by the time Jesus gets to these sentences about the speck and the log, they're not feeling so warm and fuzzy anymore. I can just see that the people there start saying, what? I'm not judgmental. I don't have a log in my eye. I'm a good person. I drive a minivan. I donate to the local charities. I pay my taxes. I keep my lawn mowed. I even have a friend who voted on the opposite side of the aisle as me. I am a good person. You don't know me. How dare you accuse me of being judgmental? Certainly, those are hard words that Jesus spoke. They would have been hard to hear. They are hard to hear. But if every time we heard a hard word, we jumped to defending ourselves and judging the speaker, we would miss the holiness of the moment. So it's wise then for us to step back and think, what does Jesus mean here when he says, don't judge? Because honestly, honestly, if we look at the Sermon on the Mount, there's a lot of the sermon that tells us we are supposed to be judging. Just in the previous chapter, Jesus tells us we need to be judging the synagogue practices. We need to be judging the Gentile prayer. We need to be judging the lives that are focused on material goods. Jesus does want us to do some judging. We are called to be thoughtful and discerning. I have two teenage boys. I'm constantly begging them to use good judgment. The Bible asks us, to do that. So what does it mean then when Jesus tells us not to judge? The Greek word for judge is krino, and much like the English translation, it has an entire spectrum of meanings. It could mean there is a hot stove in front of me and I need to use my judgment to decide not to touch the stove. Or it could mean something as big as someone is on trial and someone is judging what their fate is going to be. 
So when we look at this verse, how do we decide on that spectrum what it is Jesus is saying to us about judging? Well, Jesus has a brother named James. James wrote a book of the Bible in the New Testament, and often that book is considered to be a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. So if that's the case, can we look at James and see if James has anything to say here about what Jesus is telling us about judging? When we look at chapter 4 in the book of James, there's that same Greek word again for judge. This is what it says in James. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and to destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? James is telling us this is the bad kind of judging. When you speak ill of another person, when you speak evil about someone else, when you slander, it's when you make a declaration about who someone is or what someone's value is when you don't even have the whole story. We don't know. We can't know the whole situation. And so when we make a judgment about who someone is, we fill in blanks that we simply just don't know to be true. We make assumptions about the very fiber of someone's being based on something they've said or done, and that is the bad judging that Jesus warns us to not do. When we make these statements that denigrate who a person is, when we make statements about the lack of credibility of someone's values, when we call for a person to be dismissed, James tells us we're not only judging them, but we are condemning them. And here is the thing. Only God knows all the things. Only God knows the answers to all of those blanks that we just don't know because we don't know the whole story. We don't know all the aspects of the situation. And this is the thing, y'all. This is the thing. When we slander another person, when we choose to speak ill of another person, then we are positioning, we are choosing to, choosing to position ourselves alongside of God as if we are somehow co-workers in a cosmic office of judgment. We are deciding that we know that which only God can know We are declaring things that only God can declare. And so we position ourselves here, assuming the role of God, ignoring our own need for God's grace and forgiveness, by the way. And instead of understanding that we ourselves are standing alongside of all of humanity at the feet of God, looking to God, we have chosen to position ourselves at a distance from everyone else assuming the role of God towards other people, our fellow family. And when we do that, when we do that, we are taking it upon ourselves to declare another to be outside of the bounds of God's grace and love. 
We are denying mercy and even dignity to the other. And what's worse, what's even worse is that because we have chosen to position ourselves with God in this whole declaration, we are assuming that God agrees with us, agrees with us in our condemnation of the other. Scripture is clear. God does not agree with us. My favorite chapter in the whole Bible is Romans chapter 8. And at the end of Romans chapter 8, Paul discusses this idea of who gets to condemn. Paul says this, who is to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, yes, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who intercedes for us. Paul tells us there is only one who comes alongside of God. There is only one who is worthy to come alongside of God and to make those decisions about condemnation. It's not us. It is Jesus. And the scripture is clear that Jesus doesn't condemn, but rather Jesus intercedes for us. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't tell us not to condemn, not to judge. (laughs) He does tell us not to condemn. He doesn't tell us not to judge. Of course, we need to make wise, discerning decisions, but he does tell us not to condemn because we don't know the whole story. We never know the whole story. We can't know the whole story because Jesus says, Our vision is impaired. We have a proverbial log in our eye that keeps us from being able to fully see the other, from being able to fully see the whole situation, the whole story, what a person is carrying with them. We can't see the way God can see. This weekend, we will celebrate the life and work of the Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr., You've heard the quote from his I Have a Dream speech where he dreams about a time where people wouldn't judge him based on the color of his skin, but instead by the content of his character. He, too, is saying he's dreaming of a time where people wouldn't fill in blanks that they don't know simply because of the dark color of his skin, where people wouldn't make statements about his value simply because his skin is brown, where people would not condemn access to education or voting or jobs because they had dismissed who he was as a person. I wish we could say that all these years later, people are no longer making assumptions about the other. But we still do. I wish we could say that all these years later, we have learned to stand alongside of our our fellow people and not put our own selves in the place of God. But we do. I wish we could say that all these years later, we know how to show each other honor on Facebook and the next door app. I wish we could say we could show each other honor when we're driving on 400 or when we don't get our way. But we don't. Instead, we make condemnations. 
But the good news of this parable, the good news of the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus has shown us a new value system, that Jesus is ushering in the kingdom of God, calling us to listen to the people around us, to appreciate who they are without condemning them, robbing them of the kind of grace and mercy they deserve. It wouldn't be fair for me to say all of this without me to confess to you, I am guilty. I will tell you that there was a time that I was at this conference. It was a, a smallish conference, and the idea was that we would all get to know each other, and then that way when we go back to our jobs, we would have this group of people that we could get ideas from or find support with. We had played all these get-to-know-you-name games and icebreakers, you know, the things that you do anytime someone in the room wants everybody to be friends with each other. And then later, during the break, one of the other attendees and I were talking, and we were, we were marveling over all the interesting things we had learned about the other people at this conference. Oh, did you hear that so-and-so had been to that place? Oh, that was cool. Did you know that so-and-so grew up in this state? No, that was very cool. The other person then said, and did you hear that so-and-so's husband works at that super interesting job? I was surprised because I hadn't seen a ring on that person's finger. Oh, I told this person, I didn't realize that person was married. They didn't have on a ring. Oh, other person said, maybe I got confused. And then off that person went to figure out if they were confused or not. Now, to be clear, there's a million reasons people who are married don't wear wedding rings. It could have gotten lost, or they forgot to put it back on after their workout. Maybe she was pregnant, and her fingers had swelled up, and it was uncomfortable. I don't know. There's lots of things. I didn't think much about it until no ring person came barreling towards me. They stuck their finger in my face, and they told me they heard I was telling everyone that they weren't, ma that they weren't married. And for your information, I am happily married, and I have two kids, and I just don't like wearing my wedding ring. Plus, it's not really any of your business. I sat in shock. I felt attacked. I felt hurt. I felt angry. Who did this person think that she was? I hadn't made any value judgments on her, and yet here she was aggressively confirming her marital status. I decided right then and there, I didn't like this person. I wasn't ever going to be this person's friend. We would not be offering each other ideas or support or, quite frankly, even a cordial greeting. I mentally dismissed this person from my life. But like I said, if you, every time you hear a hard word, if you jump to your own defense and start judging the speaker, you miss a holy moment. Years and years and years later, I found out a lot more about what this person's marriage had been going through, had been going through in this marriage when we were at that conference. And the hurt and shame and wounds that this person was carrying at that time. 
that day that no ring finger person got in my face had nothing to do with me. That outburst wasn't an attack on me. It was a desperate cry. But I had chosen to write write this person off. I had decided this person wasn't worthy of dignity or grace. I had chosen to stand in the position of God instead of coming alongside this person. And y'all, in the end, I was the one who was worse for it. I had judged. I had condemned. I was not faithful. Certainly, our vision is impaired. We cannot see as God can see. We cannot assume that we get to decide who stands in a position to receive grace and mercy, for Scripture is clear. There's only one that can do that. And Jesus intercedes for us. Jesus intercedes for everyone. And so instead of dismissing our neighbor, then the kingdom of God invites us to come alongside our fellow people and to give thanks because God is for us, for all of us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy God, indeed, we come to you confessing that we struggle. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us in those places where our vision is impaired, that you would help us to see the other as someone that you love and care for. And Lord, that in those places, we too would show love and mercy. God, be with us that we would be faithful people. In your name we pray. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.